0: Hey guys, this is Brett. I'm the lead pastor at Engage City Church right here in Spruce Grove, Alberta, Canada. Thanks for taking some time out of your schedule to listen. We love you and we hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jeremy Wolfram. If you turn your Bibles, Exodus 33, I want to read a large portion of Scripture this morning. We're concluding the series on Summer of Hope, and uh, I want to bring a message to you out of Exodus 33. Uh, I found myself, ever since the beginning of May, I've been really, uh, my heart has been camped and drawn to the book of Exodus and the story of Moses. And, And I just believe this morning that God wants to not only uh, to, to you, but to me, minister some things uh, to our hearts about His character and his nature and what he wants to continually be in our lives. So if that sounds good, uh, we'll go to Exodus 33: 118. If it doesn't sound good, I have the mic too bad, we're going there. Uh, it says this, Exodus 33. One, it says, the Lord said to Moses, "Get going, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt, go up to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them, I will give you this land to your descendants. And I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel among you. For you are a stubborn and rebellious people. Everybody say, ouch. This is an interesting turn of events in the life and the the moving of Israel through the wilderness. For if I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. When the people heard these stern words, they went into the morning and stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothes. For the Lord had told Moses to tell them, you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I were to travel with you for even a moment, I would destroy you. Remove your jewelry and fine clothes while I decide what to do with you. So from the time they left Mount Sinai, the Israelites wore no more jewelry or fine clothes. It was, a, it was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. And everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses till he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. One day, Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. He's now pleading with God because of what he said earlier. And the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest and everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people in the earth. And the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you and I know you by name. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that through your word, you speak life into us day after day, week after week, month after after month, that God, your word is always working on us. You're never changing, but you're constantly leading and guiding us into all the things that you've called us to. And I just pray this morning as we seek out what you want to speak to us, that our hearts will be ready to hear your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said. Amen. I'd like to speak this morning on the subject, present hope, perfect peace. Present hope and perfect peace. Hope and peace is something that every single one of us would love to have in our life. We would love to say we walk with it all the time. But I think we, if we're honest with ourselves, it's not something that we have at every stage, every moment, and every point in our life. Now, if you live with a present hope and perfect peace, all times and all things, come talk to me because I want you to pray for me because I don't live in that place all the time. But God calls us to live in his present hope and perfect peace. But a little background on the children of Israel. Uh, When we find out what's been going on here, they have been slaves in Egypt for years and years, and God sent Moses back to them. And when Moses starts doing what God called him to do and saying to Pharaoh, let my people go. And then there's these 10 plagues. As the plagues start going on, their labor gets harder. They're mistreated. They actually say at one point, Moses, maybe we don't want you to lead us out of Egypt. Like maybe it would just be better if you leave us alone. But they get through that. They see the power of God. Finally, Pharaoh lets them go. They get three days into the wilderness only to find out that Pharaoh is coming behind them with an army to destroy them, and they're stuck between an army and the Red Sea. Once again, God moves in power, tells Moses, you know, to... Spread his arms out, raise his hands, whatever, split the Red Sea. They walk through on dry ground. Um, Pharaoh and his army follow them in. The waters come back over top of them. If you didn't know, and if this interests you, it's a picture of water baptism. We're brought into new life. The past, the things, the slavery, the burden of sin is cut off behind us. God destroys it. They have a big victory party on the other side. They're dancing, they're shouting. The ladies are all throwing a party. And Then they're in the wilderness, start complaining about food, don't have enough, should have stayed in Egypt. Like, seriously, this is the way it went. They get to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up to the mountain for 40 days. Oh my goodness, our leader took a 40-day holiday. What are we going to do? Close the church down. No. They're like, no, we need something else. We need to, where's God in all of this? So they convince Aaron, the priest, who is Moses' brother, make us a gold calf and that will be our God. And Aaron was kind of like, I want to be the pastor everybody likes, so I'm going to do it. Moses comes down the mountain, finds this gold calf. He's enraged, takes the Ten Commandments, breaks the tablets. Now he's got to face God because of his anger too and what the people have done. And this is kind of where we pick up in the story. Moses goes up the mountain, talking to God, and God's like, you need to get going to the promised land. Uh, I'm still going to keep my promise to Abraham. I don't change. That promise still stands, but guess what? I can't go with you, because if you guys want to live in sin and rebellion and like this, my holiness and my justice and all of those parts of my character, you would probably be destroyed. Now, Moses is like, God, this is now that I have to be that leader. This is what you want me to go tell my people. You know, they already don't love Moses, and this is the message he has to bring to them. But can I mention to you something about this? Because when people look at the Old Testament, they look at God and his judgments, there are a lot of people that want to say, well, this is who God is. He's just mad at you. If you don't do everything right, he doesn't have a place for you in his heart. No, 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 no. Scholars would tell you as you study this out, even in their language where God says, let me decide what I'm gonna do. Tell them this is how I'm feeling. Tell them this is what my holiness should be doing but he gives an opportunity for mercy simply by the fact of God warning them of how his presence cannot coincide with the things that they're doing in their sin he's saying give me an opportunity to show you mercy because God is God and if he wanted to destroy them it would have been done And so Moses goes back up, and he pleads to God, and he starts saying, God, I told them what you said, and can you see? They've taken off their jewelry, their fine clothes, all the things that they've been proud in? they've humbled themselves. And God, if you remove your presence from us, and you don't go with us, guess what? We're just like every other nation. There's nothing special about us. And this is the argument that he's having with God. But if you were the people of Israel, if you were Moses, you'd be feeling pretty stuck, wouldn't you? I mean, you're feeling like, God, you gave us these promises. You told us about the promised land. We had all this hope. We get out of Egypt. It's so exciting. Uh, We felt like we were destroyed and discouraged at the Red Sea. But God, you came through. And now we're just stuck again, and we're circling this wilderness, and we don't know what to do. Moses says to God, listen, God, if you don't go with us, we might as well stay here and die. And this be the end of this nation. That's the place that we're in. And I would ask you this morning, because I asked myself this. Have you ever felt like you're stuck in a wilderness place where all the dreams, the hopes, and the things that God has said to you seem to be walking in circles in some dry desert wilderness that you don't understand, that you can't get out of on your own. And you're like, God, what is going on? And I think for most of us, the answer would be, yeah, we've probably experienced that. Maybe you're experiencing it right now. If you haven't, you probably will find a place in your life regarding some promise or some issue or some trial that you feel that way. And you're asking yourself, God, I'm stuck. Where are you? I remember when I was probably about 14. My brother was about 12. We grew up on an acreage just outside of Mournville in Sturgeon County. And, uh, my dad's a mechanic and because my dad's a mechanic, um, it's what makes me kind of, um, what's the word? A good steward where I will buy things that I fix and I won't pay full price for them because this is how we learned growing up. But we always had like quads and trikes and motorbikes and things that always had some sort of finicky issue. Like it would start 30% of the time, maybe 60% of the time if you were lucky, uh, stuff like that. I mean, this is kind of my life. Uh, just this last week I bought a truck and uh, I go to buy the truck, and it was from a family member, and not their fault, because the truck started last Wednesday, but I go and I buy the truck. I, I paid for it. I signed the bill of sale. I go and get insurance, and I get a license plate, and I go to take it off the driveway, and the thing won't start, and it's stuck in my family member's driveway, and it's like... Oh, my goodness. It's like God just teaching me patience. And But when we were tw- uh, 14 and 12, my brother Phil is here uh, sometimes on Sundays. Every He works out of town, but he does sound sometimes. And him and I are very different uh, height-wise, body type. His pants have camouflage. Mine don't. You know, I love him. That's the way he hides, you know. The soundboard with camouflage pants. And, uh... I remember watching him take one of our trikes out for a spin and the field was kind of muddy and we had 80 acres so it's not a lot of land but I could see him he's about three quarters away to the back of the property and I'm at the house and this trike was notorious for like quitting on you gas line would leak out or something like that and I saw he had stalled out and it's like muddy and he's out there like 12 years old he's like reefing on the pull start on this thing and like, I'm standing there, and like a good brother would be like, oh, let's get the tractor or the truck and go pull him in or go help him. And I stood there and watched him. I'm like, I want to see how long this is going to happen for. And he did that, and I'm like... I'm like, well, just Phil, just walk back and get the tractor and pull it home or get the truck and pull it home. And no, he didn't. He proceeded to take his shirt off and tie it around the handlebars. And he starts trugging this trike through the field like this. And I kid you not, I'm not proud of this, but I'm not ashamed of it either. I stood there and watched him for 45 minutes at least while he hauled this thing into the yard. And then we get, he's like, couldn't you even come help me? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you wanted help. He didn't come ask for help, right? But you know, I feel like maybe in life sometimes, have you ever felt that way that you're like, God, where are you? I'm stuck again and I feel like I'm trying everything I can and I'm pulling and it's muddy and it's dirty and you just feel like, God, are you standing back looking at me like, yeah, you know what? I heard those words that you shouldn't have used as a good Christian boy. I'm not helping you. Like, you know, do, do we, we still hold that mentality that God's really like that? We're like, God, are you standing back watching and waiting and leaving me hopeless that thinking that I have to do this all on my own? Because it gets pretty discouraging when dreams shatter, when they don't work out the way that you want them to, when a relationship goes south, and sometimes you're like, God, I'm trying to pick up all these pieces, and where are you? I just feel stuck. And I'm sure this is how the people were feeling at that time. And we all face times in our lives where maybe the hope and the promises we've had in our hearts. (coughs) I just choked on water. (coughs) Oh, man. Where maybe the hope for the promises and the plan of God and the things we know we heard him say. This promise of this promised land for the people, it was in our hearts, and and we're in this place where it's like, God, that seems so far away. It just feels like you've abandoned me to this. And this idea of God, me having peace in my life right now, how could you even tell me I should have peace in the midst of this situation? And we're just like, God, that concept sounds like it's for some super spiritual person afar off. But I tell you this morning, God is a God that says it's for all of us. He's a God that wants us to be able to live with present hope and perfect peace. What if I told you this morning that there's a hope for whatever situation you're in, and not only that, that there's a perfect peace to be found if we would follow Jesus one step at a time, like Pastor Brett talks about week after week after week. It's there for us to find, but even like Moses in Exodus 33, Moses goes to God. He's like, God you told me to lead these people out of Egypt. And you know, the whole staff turning into a snake thing and the water to blood, those were kind of cool things. But now it's just me and your people and they're mad at me. And they're like, Moses, when are we going to get there? And I'm like, just, just trust God. And you love it when the pastor tells you that. Oh, praise God. Just trust God. Keep praying. And you're like, I want a new Pastor. I don't like that answer. Well, sometimes it's the only answer that we got. And even Moses is like, God, this hope and this peace, everything's getting a little restless and we don't know how we're going to get there. And so he starts pleading with God. And God says, no, Moses, I hear you. And no matter what he's like Moses you, you need to remember some things and I believe this from what what God's conversation with Moses is like I believe no matter what we face in life we can come to Jesus whether it's in our confusion whether it's in our lack of clarity whether it's in our failure, yes, even in our failure, in our anxieties, our fears, our insecurities, even in our uh, maybe lack of diligence and actually not putting forth what we, we should for our relationship with God, even in all of that, we can come to God and we can come to a place and realize that God wants us to have a present hope always in our lives in perfect peace because of two things. Because of number one, he promises us his presence, his presence was a promise for us in this passage. He says to Moses, this is what he says, in Exodus 33, verse 14 to 17, the Lord replied to Moses, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest and everything will be fine for you. And Moses says, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. Moses like, God, I've heard you say this before, but if, it, if you don't, like don't joke with me, God. Don't say you're gonna go with me and then send us out there to die. He said, if you don't go with us, how will anyone know that you will look favorably on me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us is what sets your people and me apart from all other people in the earth. So the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked for. I look favorably on you and I know you by name. See, the promise of his presence is what we have that brings us a present hope in any situation. And we can look at this, and you can say, well, this is Old Testament. This is Old Covenant. God promised that. That's a specific people, specific time. Get the context right, Pastor Jeremy. Well, if you want to read about it later, I just don't have time for the depth of theology on this. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and it starts talking about, man, if the covenant and the promise that God made with Moses, that I will go with you, and my presence will be with you, and I will lead you, and I will guide you, was so powerful then. It talks about that. It made Moses' face shine. It was recognizable on him. He said, Paul starts to say this in Corinthians. He goes, how much more glorious should our lives look like when we actually have the living, powerful, holy presence and spirit of God living inside of us? So this is an old covenant. This is a picture of the covenant that would come that God was looking for a people that have his presence and his personal relationship and life with them everywhere they set their foot. And we can live with a present hope in any situation because the presence of God has been promised to us as his people. When we receive Jesus, when we invite him in, he says, I am always with you. I want to dwell inside of you. I want to lead you. I want to guide you. But we cannot afford to stand back at the door of our own tent, the door of our own comfort zone, and watch other people experience the presence of God and not experience it for ourselves. Because this is what was happening in Moses' time. Why is this so important? Because it says in Exodus chapter 33, it says that as Moses would go into the tent of meeting, people would stand at the door of their tent, and they would bow. They had a respect. They had a reverence for the presence of God. But it says they didn't go in. They watched Moses go in. They watched Joshua go in. But they stayed in their own tent. But the Bible said very clearly even before that, anyone, everyone say anyone, Anyone who wanted to inquire of the Lord was welcome to go into the tent of meeting. This was not just for Moses and Aaron and the priests and the leadership. This was for anyone to experience the presence of God. And this is a picture of the relationship that God wanted to have with you and with me in his presence. And so Moses would go in, and he would speak to God. And this was an important thing. But for too long, we've stood back, and we've said, God, I feel hopeless. I feel lost. I don't know what to do. And everyone else can enter your presence, and everyone else experiences who you are. But I'm just going to stand back here and wait for you to do something. But it's important that we remember his presence is a promise for our lives, so we enter into it. And why is this so important? It's so important because his presence is the only thing that truly changes us. I can read you scriptures till I'm blue in the face. I can tell you what moral living is. I can tell you what the Bible says. But until you encounter and experience the living presence of Jesus Christ, you will not change your heart. You will not change the way you walk. You will not change the way you see your circumstance and situation. And so people would stand at the door of their tent, and I find myself in my own life doing this at times where I'm saying, God, I don't want to go into your presence because right now, this situation in life, I'm mad at you. I don't want to deal with this area because you know what I know that you know? So when we get in the presence of God, we're the one that has to change. That stinks, right? God, I'm going to come to your presence. But he's like, yeah, but guess what? You're the one that's going to leave change, not me. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm always leading you into my fullness and purpose and hope and glory. But you know You're going to be the one that changed, not me. Because I know when I immerse myself in the presence of God, even though I don't like what's happening, even though I'm hurting, even though I'm troubled, even though I want things my own way, sometimes when I get in the presence of Jesus, I start to hear his voice over those situations. I start to see the way he sees. Sometimes I even hear him say, you're never going to understand this, and I can't change it for you, but I'm still with you, and I'm still here, and I'm still going to meet with you and speak to you and love on you and pull you close, and that's how you're going to move forward with a present hope tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the day after that because the power of his presence is what changes us and gives us strength to take one step after the other as we follow Jesus how? One step at a time. The power of the presence of Jesus is what changes us. Uh, One of my favorite parts of this story is is that Joshua, Moses' assistant, who would later become the next leader of Israel, says he remained behind after Moses left. Some people think that's, that they just wanted a 24-7 ear on the phone to God, that if God said something when they weren't there, someone would at least hear it. Yeah, maybe that's true. Uh, some people believe that, you know, you keep looking at this like, oh, Joshua, he's just trying to look all spiritual, so he gets a promotion like Moses and all that stuff. No, no, I don't think that's what it was. I think as a young man, Joshua began to realize that as they left Canaan... And you'd have two guys named Joshua and Caleb later that would continue to lead the people and say that even though there's trials ahead, even though there's trouble ahead, God has promised us that. And so we have hope and we can take one step and then the next step and the next step. When Joshua came out of Canaan, he actually, like you've been slaves in Egypt for 400 some years and then you face your first battle in the wilderness. Let me tell you, your warring skills are a little bit rusty. And Moses tells Joshua, you lead the army just was like oh my gosh right like i'm like 38 40 years old lead the army we've never fought before in our lives like we build houses moses we build palaces. That's what we do. Lead an army. And, and Joshua, I think, from the very young age, began to realize that, man, if I could just get closer to the presence of God, I would have faith to believe that what he said will happen will happen. I'll have faith to believe that when I deal with my insecurities and the things I fear as a leader, when I can get close to Jesus, all of those things start to be shed in a different light, and I see things differently. And when we come to situations in our life, We can live with a present hope in every situation, even if we don't like the situation, because God has promised us his presence. It's available. It's there for you to enter into. It's there because His Holy Spirit wants to speak to you and pull you close and love on you and cover you and give you wisdom and direction. And we can live with a present hope because of that presence. And it's so important that we learn to not stand back and avoid it because sometimes we do. I'm, you're just going to think, this is the preacher? Sometimes I avoid reading my Bible and prayer time because I am dealing with stuff in my heart that I know if I open that book or I go to that prayer time God's going to start working on me changing and I'm just not, I don't want to change. But when we do the presence of Jesus is so powerful that it actually begins to change us and it leads us and it gives us the ability to believe well maybe I can take one more step. Maybe I can work on this tomorrow. Moses, like, he's sitting there in the wilderness, like, God, if you're not going with us, I just want to lay down and die here. I don't want to lead these people. They don't like me. They're angry at me. They're stubborn. They're rebellious. You've said it yourself, God. So if you don't go with us, I'm done. And God says, fine, I'm going with you. He's like, okay, God, then I can, I can do one more day in the wilderness. I'll yell at them next week, but then I'll come back and pray to you, and I'll do another day in the wilderness, and you're going to lead us, and, and I'm going to rest in that hope. And it's so important for us to remember that we have access to the presence of God and that's how we walk with present hope, following Jesus one step at a time. But the other reason his promise of his presence is so important is because it's the only thing that really sets us apart in the world. We talk about wanting to reach people for Jesus. We talk about wanting them to see who God is and experience the hope that we have. And what we need to understand is it's the presence of God that actually makes us appealing to other people. Not our fancy lights. Not our good-looking preachers. Not our, not our, oh yeah, okay, everyone laughs then. Uh, You know, not... All of these things, but it's the hope that we have in walking, living, breathing with the presence of Jesus on our lives is what makes people take notice and say, There's something different there. I don't know what it is, but there's something different. The people of the other nations, when Israel moved through the wilderness, there were some nations that said, We don't even want to pick a fight with them because we heard what their God did in Egypt. We'll just let you pass through. And in our lives, we have this idea that. We, we think, well, if people can work harder or do more, they'll feel accepted at church, or if I invite them to a cooler service. No, no, no. They're gonna wanna come and experience what Jesus wants to do in their lives because they see it at work in you. And, and it's the presence of Jesus that sets us apart. We're set apart by the presence of Jesus in our lives in every situation, but we have to remember That we will never reflect him if we don't first behold him. The promise of his presence needs to become such a reality for you and for me because we talk about wanting to see people come to know Jesus. But if I've never beheld Jesus, if I've never seen him, if I've never experienced him in my own heart, how do I properly and effectively reflect him to the world around me? Because I tell you this, when you experience Jesus' grace and his love in light of your sin and your heart and your shortcomings and all the times you know you didn't deserve, but yet God says, this is my hope. This is my plan for you. I love you. Let's keep moving. Let's keep going. That changes from, well, if you would get this right together in your life and you would do that, your marriage would be better and this would be better and that would be better. But when people say, it's like, okay, like I know you've struggled, but like how do you do it? It's like because, because Jesus gives me hope because Jesus leads me through tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and I'm not any more special than you, but I simply have access to the presence of Jesus in a relationship with him that changes the way I see life. And all of a sudden, your friends and our evangelism strategy in this community starts to be like, why are you doing this? Because Jesus has changed me, and I think he could do it for you too. We, We come to this place where we want to see Jesus glorified, but we need to behold his presence so we can reflect him to others. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says this. It says, whenever though they turn their face to God as Moses did, they, uh, God removes the veil and there they are face to face. They suddenly recognize that God is a living and personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. People need to see that God is living and real And he's moving in our lives, not just some piece of stone or a cross in a building that we come and we sing some songs and we talk about. It says, when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. We're free of it. All of us, nothing between us and God. Our face is shining with the brightness of His face, so we are transfigured much like the Messiah. Our lives are gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like Him. Church, when you start to behold Jesus, when you start to get into His presence, we start to become more and more like Jesus, and that's what gets reflected to the world around us. But we have to be careful. Second Corinthians chapter 4. But remember, our message is not about ourselves. Jeremy, how are you facing that situation? Well, I go to church every Sunday and I tithe and I make sure I pray with my family at dinner time and I don't do this and I don't do that. No, 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 no. The message is not about me, the message is not about all the things that we've done. Those are good things. God will lead you to those things. Trust me, he will lead you to serving and giving and loving people better and having better relationships and you actually putting in effort towards those things. But those things aren't what changed you. Those things were a result of the presence of Jesus changing you. So our message is not about ourselves. We're proclaiming Jesus Christ the Master. All we are is messengers, errand runners from Jesus for you. I love this phrase. Some churches are no MSG, no Message Bible, but like, I mean, USG, Eugene Peterson, I just, I just like this phrase, errand runners for Jesus. Jeremy, what's your call in life? I'm to run errands for Jesus back and forth just so that in my life, day-to-day living, everything I do, how I serve people, how I love people, how I love my family, how I lead them, how I interact with the person at the grocery store, how I do business in an honorable way, it just, why, why do you do it that way? because God sent me on these errands and I need to do them as he was doing them for you. I just need to show you Jesus in everything I do. This is started when God said, light up the darkness and our lives filled up with a light as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ, all bright and beautiful. Next slide. If you only look at us, you might as well miss the brightness. We carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. That's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us. As it is, there's not much of that. You know for, you know for yourselves that we're not much to look at. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles, we were, but we were not demoralized. We were not sure what to do, but we knew that God knows what to do. Ever felt like that? I'm not sure what to do, but we know what God, that God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't been broken. What they did to Jesus, they do to us. Trial and torture, mockery and murder. What Jesus did among them, he does in us. He lives. Our lives are at constant risk for Jesus' sake, which makes Jesus' life all the more evident in us. And look at this phrase. While we're going through the worst, you're getting in the best. And I read this yesterday and last night and this morning in the first, in the first uh, service, it hit me. God, while I'm going through the worst, the world is seeing the best when I live in the presence of Jesus. When I'm going through my deepest, darkest hour and my hardest time of life, the world sees the hope in Jesus and that's the message of the gospel See, church, we have a present hope and a presence of Jesus that leads us through anything and beyond anything. And it doesn't mean that we don't face trials, and it doesn't mean that life doesn't hurt. But we have to remember that when we have the presence of God, it changes us. But the presence of God in our worst is actually what shows people God's best. That God is a God that loves a broken and hurting humanity. That He loves people that are far from Him. And they would say, well, I'm going through something that feels like my worst. Do you mean God could do his best in me at that time? Absolutely. And that's our present hope and that's how we follow Jesus one step at a time, but he doesn't stop there. He also says, I'll give you rest, but a better translation would be perfect peace. But it's important for us to note and understand that peace is not the absence of trouble or anxiety, or difficult times in our life. The perfect peace and the rest that God talks about is that confidence and assurance that the hope in which he has promises will happen and it will come to pass and that we can bank on God. And when God says, I will be with you, I will go with you, I will promise you my presence, and I will also bring you into a place of perfect peace, it doesn't mean we won't face things in life, but it means that God's peace transcends all of those things. Romans five one says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. John 14.27, Jesus said, I'm leaving you a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. You won't find it anywhere else. So he says, do not be troubled or do not be afraid. In John 16.33 just a few chapters later, Jesus says, I've told you all of these things. He starts telling about trials and calamities and all these things. Jesus, I thought you said we were getting peace. He goes, yeah, but I told you about about all the things that you might have to face so you may have peace in me. Here on this earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Church, we serve a God that wants us to live in his presence as we do that we will have present hope even though our situation doesn't seem to be working out the way we wanted it to or, or look like we thought it would look like but he also in the midst of that says I want to give you a peace that you can bank on that even though you face these things you know I'm with you I'm not leaving you I'm, I'm right by your side and, and, and that you can trust me in all of this but there was a phrase in all of this this week that I just I couldn't get past I couldn't figure it out I asked my wife about it I asked my sister about it I asked my boss about it they're like seriously we're trying to watch a movie you want to have a theological conversation right now like let's just watch the show and I'm like in the New Living Translation in the message and some of the other translations some end at rest but some the Amplified it even goes into this phrase where God says to Moses everything will be fine for you another translation says it will be well with you Another one says, I'll see the journey through. And I, I struggled with that because I said, God, how do, you, how do you stand in front of people that face hurt and brokenness? And life doesn't always work out the way we want and say, Jesus promises us his presence. He promises us peace. When you serve Jesus, everything will be fine for you. How many would know that I would be doing you a disservice as a preacher of the gospel? That if I told you, oh, you serve Jesus, you raise your hand, that you won't face any of the stuff or the junk that you have to go through in life. It doesn't work that way. I was a youth pastor for 15 years, and I would sit there and I would tell kids, I'm telling you, if you serve Jesus, it'll be the greatest adventure of your life, but you will still face things. I can't protect you from what you go through in your young adult years. I can't promise your parents will never get divorced. I can't promise that you won't be sitting in my office one day crying or asking about why something is happening to you. But what I can promise you is that God will be with you. And I said, and I said to God, God, what do you mean then everything will be fine for you? Because in our North American culture, fine means I get what I want. Fine means it's gonna work out. Fine means I'm not gonna have to face any trial or struggle anymore. But I think a better translation is where it says, I'll see the journey through. It just puts that extra anchor on the promise of peace, where God says, Guess what? You can know and you can stand that your life will be fine. It will be good. It will be held because I am the one that is your peace and I am the one that holds your days and I am the one that at the end of the day, at the end of life, I will be the one that sees the journey through. Church, person, individual, God didn't start something in you to leave you dying in a wilderness. Sometimes we we get the Old Testament so wrong in the sense where if you even go to Ezekiel, like God says this. He says, I don't, I don't desire judgment. I only desire that you would turn and live. It's all about a story of God wanting to live with people and see them experience the life He has for them. But He gave us free will and He gave us choice, so that makes it difficult. But He says, I desire that you would live and and God's made those promises. And, and we heard this, we hear it in the New Testament where it says, he who started a good work in you, he'll be faithful to complete it. God's not going to stop working. So we need to, we, we, we can't stop following. If God's going to lead us into perfect peace and he's going to see the journey through, we need to keep following Jesus one step at a time. Hope for today. Hope for tomorrow. Peace in who Jesus is. And a God that promises, I will see the journey through. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I know God's got a great plan and a purpose for you, and I know that it's not a mistake that you were listening to this message today. So if you want to reach out, if you need somebody to talk to, you, feel free to send us an email. Hello at EngageChurch.ca. If you want to learn more about our church, you want to come check us out live and in person uh, for the real deal, then get all the information online at EngageChurch.ca. I'm Brett. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're running or you're at the gym right now, you got this. Go get it.